we will be reading from Mark 3, 20 to 34, and it's on 1004 of your Blue Bibles. So, Jesus accused by his family and by the teachers of the law. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an internal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting round him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle round him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Connor, thank you. Now, we are back in uh, March Gospel for this term, which is very exciting. Uh, and March Gospel, we particularly love because it's just so, it's designed for uh, probably for some Roman uh, Christians who were starting to experience really severe persecution for believing in Jesus. And so what that, what, they, what that church needed, what that generation needed, was something just to really reassure them that Jesus really is the king, the king who saves, and to encourage them in what that means for them. Steve, I'm sorry, I'm going to put this on because I realised I'm, I'm going to need this in a bit. Is that okay? Let's pray that we would be encouraged in the same way. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the delight that it is to be your people. But, Lord, sometimes it is very hard. And, Lord, sometimes when we look around at what's going on in the world and we see uh, evil in lots of places, whether it's nurses in the NHS, Lord, whether it's what's going on in the Ukraine, whether it's the unknown that we're not sure about coming in the future as we start new things or go to new places. And, Lord, I pray that we would see you today that you would give us joy and confidence to do your will uh, and to face the world with joy and all your good news. 
Amen. So the theme uh, that we're, I think, in this passage is that Jesus is the end of evil, with a capital E. Jesus is the end of evil. The aim of this passage, I think, is that we as Christians, with joyful confidence, not a duty, but with a joyful confidence, that we would do the will of your Father and mine. We would do the will of God as our Father. Why do you want to listen to this? You want to listen to this because it's the Word of God. But this specific Word of God wants to give us confidence in the face of evil, of doubt that evil brings. Jesus is the end of the evil. Let me, let me show you that here, I think. Um, what's our context that sets the meaning of our passage? It is that if you look back in verses, uh, th- uh, chapter 3, verse 11, um, there's these impure spirits, they meet Jesus, and whenever they do, they fall down before him and they cry out, you are the son of God. It's happening all the time. When Jesus encounters evil and demons, they roll over. And then also, uh, in verse 13 of chapter 3, before our reading, uh, he appoints, um, sorry, verse 14, he appointed the twelve that that, uh, they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. See, not only has Jesus got this relationship with evil, but also he's doing it with his disciples. They are driving out evil too. Now, I think it's that thing that his family see in verse 20. When his family heard about this, they're less worried about him not being able to eat of one evening. What they're hearing is the ruckus that is going on that is causing this massive crowd to gather in verse 20. And it's the same for the teachers of the law in verse 22. What do they want to talk about? They want to talk about evil and the demon and Satan. Do you see that? There's a sandwich going on here where you've got the family, verses 20 to 21, and then is Jesus demon-possessed? Then you get demons, you get Jesus' monologue on Satan there. And then there's a little bit at the end at verse 30 where we go back to him being demon-possessed, and then there's a bit more about family at the end. It's like a sandwich. And the meat of the sandwich is right in the middle where Jesus talks about Satan. If Satan opposes himself, verse 26, and he is divided, he cannot stand, his end has come. That's what's going on underneath this passage. We're talking about evil, and we're talking about how Jesus is the end of evil. The question that is being raised is what's the deal with Jesus' obvious power over demons? Is it madness? Is it evil? Verse 20 to 21, the family, his family, think it's madness. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. They're not following Jesus, but they want to direct Jesus where he should go, because he's got it wrong. In verse 22, what do we read about the teachers of the law? The teachers of the law who came down for Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, or Satan, the devil. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. And the same thing in verse 30. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. So they're saying that the source of Jesus' power is Satan itself. He is evil, so don't follow him. You don't follow someone who's possessed by Satan, do you? Same thing as the family, but a slightly different thing. But Jesus is neither mad, and nor is he evil. And that's the point that he makes from verse 23 onwards. Can you see how he answers with such cool logic? 
the teachers of the law, they make their argument, and Jesus responds in verse 23. He calls them over, and he begins to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. Can you hear the cool logic? Which says he's definitely not lost his mind. And can you hear the self-defeating argument? Of course it can't be evil. I'm driving evil out. So why would I be the source of evil? I'm, that doesn't help evil's, Satan's mission at all, does it? So you're both wrong. I'm not mad. I'm not evil. So what is going on here? And that's the good news. It's this last phrase there in that little sentence we read, his end has come. Satan's end has come. It's been promised since Genesis. It's now arriving. Jesus tells us more in this parable, doesn't he? In verse 27, he, he, he paints this picture, doesn't he? Like Satan's a strong man. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. So we're all thinking Satan is like a strong man. Uh, he has a house and it contains something that Jesus wants to plunder, to steal, to rob him of. What is that thing? Well, the next thing in verse 28 is people. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. It's people held by Satan in his house by the unforgiveness of their sins, by their unforgiven sin and their slander. That's what holds people in Satan's house. And so Jesus is saying, actually, truly, this is the major statement. The time has arrived. A big statement here is actually, it's possible to get out of that. It's possible for Satan to be bound and his house to be plundered. Now, I, I'm a visual learner, so what I propose to do is that we do a little tableau to help us understand this. I need two volunteers to stand and hold a couple of items to help us see what we're going on about here. So come have a couple of volunteers. That's it, don't all volunteer at once. No, I don't. I want Marie to do it. Marie, Andrew, come on up. Thank you very much. Uh, right, Marie, you are going to be uh, over here. Uh, Andrew, you go over there. So this strong man that is Satan, he has his household and he's got people in it and he holds them there because of what? Their unforgiven sin. So it is Satan's only weapon that he has is not a lightsaber, but in fact our guilt. I've put you on the wrong side. Would you go on that side and would you come on this side, Marie? Thank you. Now the problem is, is that in a fight with, a, with, this, with this weapon, there is no way that Marie is going to be able to recover this individual from this grip. Do we see that? But the only weapon that Satan has got is our guilt is the fact that he can stand before the Father and say, you should not have these people in your house as your children because they are guilty. That's his strength and his weapon. That's what he likes to use against us to keep us away. There's no way that Marie is going to fight an actual lightsaber. What we need to do is to disarm him. 
The good news is, what does it say that Jesus has? It says, truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins. If your sins are forgiven, then you have no guilt, which means Jesus can take away the weapon. All of it is gone. When he dies on the cross, he washes it away by his blood. Satan is now powerless. But not only that, we read on, so it might get a little bit peculiar, we read on, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. This does not mean that if you have at any point used the Lord's name in vain, that you are definitely going to hell and there's no recovery. What it does mean is that the source of Jesus' power is not the devil, it is what? What does it say? The only other person who's mentioned? It is the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? Jesus is God. He's God the Son, and he controls God the Holy Spirit. And when he baptises in the Spirit, which is what John has promised only two chapters before, do you remember that? Here is the one, there is I, there's one who comes after me who's greater than I am, and he will baptise you with the Spirit. When Jesus uses his, the power of the Spirit to baptise us, our sins are forgiven, and that power is the power that defeats Satan. How is Satan bound? is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here we go. I'm not sure if this will actually work, but so let's just imagine that as Jesus casts the Holy Spirit on the Satan, that he is absolutely... This is not good for our staff team, is it, characterising you as Satan? And I'm not sure... Can you just really be bound up for a second like that? Yeah, that's it. let's do that way around. OK, all right. OK, all right. So... I'll just try my knots on there. That's quite a bit of rope burn. There we go. Right, okay. Now, can you see how the strong man who holds us in his house because of our guilt, evil itself, is powerless before Jesus? Because not only does he remove the only weapon that Satan has against us, but by the power of the Spirit, Satan is bound. Which means, Marie, do you want to just go and take that person out of Satan's house and you're going to rob him blind? And you're going to stand with him over here. Can you see how that works? Can you see why we have nothing to fear in the face of evil? Guys, thanks so much. Why not give me that? And I'll just put that there. You wriggle out. Have a sit down. Round of applause for them. And here's the thing. is We're not just, we're not just saved for, for the sake of it. Can you see what comes after our passage? In verse 31, the point of Jesus defeating evil is that he takes us out of, his, out of Satan's house to what? To be children of God the Father. You see that? Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are looking outside for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he said. Then he looked around at those seated in the circle around him, and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Now, Jesus honoured his parents perfectly, so he's not being rude. He's being extreme to help us understand that when we are rescued out of the power and the house of Satan, we are rescued into being his brother, his sister. Do you see that? Isn't that wonderful? So whoever does God's will is my brother and sister 
and mother. Father's not there because God is our father. We are in his family. And so we're saved first in order to do his will. And off we go doing what our father says. Have you ever had that feeling, am I saved? Am I really a child of God? Am I in or am I out here? That nagging doubt about the wrongdoing you've done, about the failures you've had, the voices of guilt. If you haven't had that, that is extraordinary because even Dr. Helen Rosevere, a brilliant missionary, went, I can't remember where she went, where did she go? Was, um, I just remember the mountain. She, she said this. She was a wonderful Christian missionary. She did amazing uh, things with nursing and preaching the gospel. And she said this. I faced again the old taunting of the devil. Are you really saved? Could you be so hard and critical? Could you lose your temper? Could you be so jealous of another if the Lord Jesus was really dwelling in you? You preach it all, but you don't live it. It isn't real. Have you ever had that? Or maybe it's, is Jesus enough? Is he really good? My culture seems to imply that he's bad, maybe even morally wrong, or just that following Jesus is madness. Or maybe the doubt that you have about evil is just you're worried about Starling University and you don't know what's to come, but you know there's evil out there and you might encounter that. What am I going to do with that? What am I going to do with that evil? What does Jesus say? Jesus says he is the end of evil. It has started. He is already robbing Satan blind of his people and making them his family. So what does that mean for us? It means that with joyful confidence we can do the will of God, your father and my father. If you're a Christian, you've got confidence to face your own evil. You've got confidence as a Christian to face your own evil. When, there's, a, there's a nice quote found on the internet, which is probably some preacher, I don't know whose it is, but it goes like this. When Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. He is bound, he is unarmed before Jesus, and he is awaiting the day when Jesus will return and he will be done away with. Remind yourself of the power of the Holy Spirit the unimprovable sacrifice of Jesus. How can you make his blood more precious or cover sin more? Your guilt is gone, the lightsaber, and the Satan is bound by the Holy Spirit. Get others to remind you by showing you this Jesus in the Bible who is defeating evil. You know, when you come to communion, which is a great way, coming to communion, to remind ourselves physically that we are in God's kingdom, but not because of who we are or how we feel or what we've done. We are in God's kingdom and in his table and in his household because of Jesus' blood. So you can, come to the, you can come with confidence, can't you, to the Lord's table every time, no matter what you've done in the week, provided you've said sorry. His Robert Parker wrote a prayer that goes like this. When I am tossed about with the storms of doubts and fears... Show me how to lay hold of your word and promises. Then all the temptations of the world, the flesh and the devil, will never prevail over me, since I know in whom I have believed. Do you hear that? I know the person who is my protector. That's where you need to remind yourself when those doubts come. 
Maybe you're a Christian who's experiencing some evil, or you've, been, you've, had, you've had a brush with evil, the occult or Ouija boards or whatever it is in the past. You're worried about demons. You can fall off a horse two ways here. Demons are real, but we don't see them everywhere. There's often explanations for stuff that happens, but they are real. The question is, is do we have anything to fear if we are held by Jesus, if we are literally in him, a new creation? No. What we see here in Mark's Gospel is the end of Satan. This is the beginning of the end. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Remind yourself of that in your evil. Or if you're experiencing evil and the brokenness of the world, or you're walking with someone through that, You've got to remember that evil is on the run. Satan is bound and he is unarmed before Jesus. We're waiting for the end in the house of your father, trying to do what glorifies God in between, amidst evil and amidst maybe feeling like you're the victim. It's not mad or evil to do the will of God in that setting. It's a sign to all that this is the beginning of the end of Satan and the power of Christ. Isn't that true when we see great evil perpetrated? And yet in it is someone who's experienced that evil, but they go out of their way to rescue the kids from the war zone. They go out of their way to teach people the gospel, even though there's the fear of life. That's a sign, isn't it, that evil is bound and powerless before Jesus. Jesus governs even the tumultuous and chaotic aspects of life, even evil. People who suffer need personal contact with Jesus. And complete restoration from evil only, is only possible with God. It's only possible with him because who can disarm Satan? Who can bind him? Who can remove people from his house? And so if we're experiencing evil, we're walking with people who do that, we speak of Jesus, we meet Jesus, we pray to Jesus. Listen, if you're young here today, you may not have experienced much evil, and you may, you know, you may not realise actually the end of evil, interestingly, starts with our own forgiveness, doesn't it? The fact that Jesus removes Satan's weapon of our guilt. Start there. But evil is real and it's a struggle and you will encounter it. But it's Jesus' struggle. And so we're, 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 we can wait for him to deal with it and we can give it to him when it comes. In the meantime, do your Father's will in preparation for what is to come. There's a whole generation who don't know how to face evil or how to deal with it. I don't know either, but I do know the person who does, and that is Jesus. He says that I'm safe with him, but that I should prepare. You know Ephesians 6? Therefore, put on the the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. My prayer for Hannah, for our young people, for us as we raise kids, whether we're related to them by blood or by Christ, is that we would encourage that next generation 
to not wait, to not be unprotected, but to take evil seriously and to claim Jesus as the person that rescues them and to encourage them not to waste that, it's never, that it's never a waste of your time or your emotion or your energy to know Jesus better. As you consider the future and that of your friends, what activities are you doing that are helping you put on this armour of God, that are helping you confidently with joy obey your Father's will that you should get ready to face the day of evil? On the day of evil, you won't care that you were the most popular or that you were in the first team or that you passed the 11 plus. What you will be delighted is to have Jesus with you. If you're not yet a Christian here today, who else is able to deal finally with evil? Who will you look to? Jesus is not mad or bad He's God, and he's out to rescue you into, your, into his house in spite of yourself. C.S. Lewis said, you can shut him up for being a fool. You can spit at him and kill him uh, as a demon, which is what the teachers of the law ended up doing. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open for us, and he did not intend to. How do we interpret Jesus' power over demons? We should interpret it that he is the Son of God, wielding God the Spirit, according to the will of God the Father, to rescue you and to one day finally defeat evil. You might be thinking, well, if he's that powerful, why doesn't he just do away with evil? Are you thinking that? Why doesn't he just get rid of it? Why does he just bind and disarm? Why does he not get rid of Satan completely? And the problem is, is if he gets rid of Satan, is he gets rid of everyone who's in his house. If God is going to make the world perfect and beautiful and lovely, it means that everything that is not perfect and not beautiful and not lovely has to be done away with. And that's the problem, isn't it? The problem with people is that they're only human. The problem with us is that we're not perfect or beautiful or lovely. And so we are in his house, in Satan's house, until the Son of God rescues us. And so part of me is pleased that Jesus hasn't done away with evil because it gives me more time to help people see how wonderful it is to be out of his house and in Jesus' house. But one day he will finish evil forever. There will be two households on that day, one dominated by fear and accusation where people are trapped and where there will only be judgment, the other ruled by forgiveness and powerful protection and life forever. You must choose. I love Jesus. Go that way. This is the good news. So we look at Jesus doing extraordinary things with demons. He's not mad. He's not bad. He is the Son of God who is ending all evil. There is no one better that we can enjoy and have in our life, in the lives of our kids and our neighbours. Should we pray that we would do that? Let's pray. Lord God, you are wonderful that you would come and disarm the power of Satan, that you would bind him by your Holy Spirit. And we are grieved that it took the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us 
to disarm, that it took you coming as God into our broken and evil world that's filled with so much good but also filled with so much evil and to experience that firsthand as you were unjustly crucified and publicly shamed when you should have been worshipped. But Lord, in that you bound the devil forever and one day he will be no more on our horizon. Lord, we thank you so much for that privilege and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to know you so that we would know in all things the confidence and joy of being in your house and no longer in bondage to sin. That we would do your will with delight and glee being your children. We praise you, Lord, uh, for giving us one another to help each other do that. So help us do that when evil comes knocking. Amen. Your question for coffee time afterwards is, how does seeing Jesus' total power over Satan, how does that affect your thinking about evil, both general and your personal as well? How does that change that, seeing the power of Jesus? I think we're going to stand and sing now.